You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. were showed where, where God, those who were righteous before God, those who were, were humbled themselves before God, escaped the wrath. Josiah humbled himself before God, became a godly man, followed God. He made a mistake, but God took him out. When? Before Judah fell. The righteous perish, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taking away. There's the taking away. He took Josiah away. Have you ever been to an escape room? A place where you're given clues about how to escape the room? Well, Pastor Dave shares that the clue to escaping God's wrath can be found in repentance. When you turn back to God with a humble heart, He will provide a way of escape from a world of trouble. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 35 as he continues his message, Josiah part 2. Then Josiah gave the lay people lambs and young goats from the flock, all for Passover offerings for all who were present to the number of 30,000 as well as 3,000 cattle. These were from the king's possessions. And his leaders gave willingly to the people, to the priest, and the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jethiel, rulers of the house of God, gave to the priest for the Passover offerings 2,600 from the flock, 300 cattle. Also, Conaniah, his brothers, Shemaniah, and Nathaniel, and Habadajabadiu, and Jahil, and Joabad, chief of the Levites, gave, the, gave to the Levites for Passover offerings 5,000 from flock and from 500. I love this. The king is giving this stuff away. He sees the poverty. He sees the fact that they don't have what they need to celebrate the Passover. So the king is giving these things away. He provides 30,000 lambs. For the Passover, he provides 3,000 cattle. This is how passionate Josiah was to make the word of God clear. And again, this is what the word of God does in your life. It makes you passionate about things, things of the Lord. It makes you passionate about sharing the gospel with somebody who doesn't know it. It makes you passionate about helping somebody who's poor, helping somebody who's in need, helping somebody. It makes you passionate about visiting the sick. It makes you passionate about prayer. It makes you passionate, and that's what the Word of God does. That's what it's supposed to do as you read it and look at it. He was passionate to have a proper celebration, and he was willing to bear the expense. I love this. The total number of the offerings is more than double of Hezekiah's Passover. It's an indication of how greatly the generosity was. Verse 8 there, when we read it, and his leaders gave willingly to the people. When they saw Josiah giving liberally to the people, it trickled down and they started giving liberally. This is what happens when you see others doing these kind of things. You get encouraged and you start to say, yeah, I could do this. I want to do this. He starts doing this. As often as the custom, a generosity of a leader like King Josiah prompted generosity for others. Why? 
2 Chronicles 2, 9, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And here you see Josiah is just such a cheerful giver. The priest and the Levites prepared everything according to the law of Moses at the king's command. In verse 10, wrong page. In verse 10, so the service was prepared and the priests stood in their places and the Levites in the divisions according to the king's command. So the, the, I love this because he really studied this. He really got this down. He became a student of God's word and he studied to show himself approved. And he was able to direct everybody in their places. I mean, he had never celebrated the Passover, but he got it all from reading God's word. This is so cool. I love this. Faithfulness to God's word. No shortcuts. They took God's word for what it was. Let's read 11 through 14. And they slaughtered the Passover offerings, and the priests sprinkled the blood with their hands while the Levites skinned the animals. Then they removed the burnt offerings and that, that they might give them to the divisions of the fathers, houses of the lay people, to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses, so they did with the cattle." Also, they roasted the Passover offerings with fire, according to the court ordinance, but the other holy offerings they boiled in pots and cauldrons and pans and divided them quickly among all the lay people. Then after it, they prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, because the priests and the sons of Aaron were busy in offering burnt offerings and fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priests of the sons of Aaron. Unlike Hezekiah's Passover, it seems that the Passover sacrifice were directly made by the priests. Remember, in Hezekiah, he let the people do their own sacrifice. But that wasn't according to God's law. God's law said the priest had to do the sacrifice. So now they're following the priestly thing. They didn't allow that to happen. They roasted the Passover offerings with fire in accordance to the law. This was the second aspect of the Passover celebration. A meal that was enjoyed by everybody. What a barbecue! Come on, that was great. Roasted all those animals. Boiled. Man, I tell you, they must have had a feast. It must have been great. It was really good. This was cause for great celebration. They had a great celebration. Look at 15. And the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their places, according to the command of David, Asaph, Heman, Jedatham, and the king's seer. Also the gatekeepers, each were at a gate, and they did not have to leave their position because the brethren of the Levites prepared portions for them. Everybody was being fed. Everybody was being here. Now, it's interesting. When you read the law of Moses, there's no provision for worship at the Passover. There's no provision. It's not a time where they would worship. You would think that they would have worship at the Passover. They break out in worship. Why? Because they're just so excited by the word of God. They're just so overwhelmed by the word of God that now they're breaking out in worship. And everybody's involved. All the worship leaders, all the biggies like Asaph and Heman and Jethudim, they're all great worship leaders. And some of the Psalms that David wrote was written to Jethudim, the head of the seers or the head of the musicians. And you can see that. I love that. This was coming directly from their heart. Everything they were doing was coming from their heart. Again, I think this is what happens when we follow the Lord. And diligently seek him with all our heart. Worship naturally comes out of you. When you're following the Lord, you can't help but worship. You can't help but sing his praises. You can't help but to give him thanks. You just can't help but do that. And this is what happens when you're digging into the word of God and the spirit strikes your heart. You can break out in song and you can sing. And it doesn't matter what you sound like. It doesn't matter because the Lord loves it. 
He absolutely loves it when his people sing to him, when his people worship him, when his people talk of his glory. He loves it. So this is a great thing. So they're singing. They're having a good time. Worship is naturally that what follows fellowship with him because he blesses us with all our lives. Look at 16 through 19. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day. To keep the Passover and offer burnt offerings on the altar, the Lord, according to the commandment of King Josiah, and the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet, and none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept. With the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel, who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. They had gatekeepers. Everybody was watching. They were standing guard. Nobody left their position, and they took food to them so they could eat while they were on guard. Josiah was mindful of everyone. He was mindful of the people that worked. He was mindful of those that did security. He was mindful of those people who were worshiping the Lord. Every guard was ready on their post. It kind of reminds me of Nehemiah that we'll get to one of these days. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day. Why? And how did it work out that way? Because Josiah had great plans. He followed the Lord perfectly, and his plans were wonderful, and everything turned out to be an incredible, incredible day. It really was a wonderful time. They did not do it out of strange compulsion. They became obedient to God and tried to observe everything according to his plan. Read about it in Numbers 9. There had been no Passover kept like that any time since the prophet Samuel. The celebration was so significant that you had to go all the way back before David and Samuel, and, excuse me, and Solomon in keeping of Passover. It was remarkable because the magnitude of the celebration, even the remnant from the north came down and handed in. And once again, you see a conjoining of the north and the south people. They were in strict obedience to the law of Moses, and it shined against the dark days of Judah's history. Judah is getting ready to go into captivity. They have fallen as far as they could possibly fall. They have done terrible things, and the Lord was going to chastise them greatly. But this is a beautiful thing in the midst of all this time, in the midst of all this woe that was coming about. And after this incredible Passover, all the reforms that Josiah had put in place and the covenant that made to the Lord, he makes a crucial mistake. Even after all this time, he makes a crucial mistake, and the Lord takes him home. Let's read verses 20 and 22. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but have come against, but against the house which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him and disguise himself so that he might fight with him. And did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of the God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. Valley of Megiddo. How many fights and wars are in the Valley of Megiddo? There's going constantly fighting in the Valley of Megiddo, war after war after war after war. There will be another war at the Valley of Megiddo. There will be a giant war at the Valley of Megiddo at that time. It's called Armageddon, the last battle, the last great battle taken 
Come with us to Israel and you can overstand on a mountain and you can look over and you can see that valley. How vast and how wide it is. And you can see how tanks could come from the east and how tanks could come from the west and come right into that valley. It's incredible. So Necho, the king of Egypt, came up to fight Charchemish. This was part of a geological study, struggle because of the Assyrian Empire was starting to decline and the Babylonian Empire was starting to become strong. The Assyrians made alliance with the Egyptians to protect themselves from the Babylonians. King Josiah went against him. He disregarded what is actually good counsel from Necho. Necho said, what do I have to do with you? Why are you coming out to me? I'm not coming after you. I have come against you this day. Josiah stubbornly refused the hearing, which was actually from God. It was actually from God. Interesting, Necho himself said, for God has commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. It is unlikely that Necho had any understanding of what he was saying. It's unlikely because he was a pagan. But he was being used by God at this time, and he was given warning to Josiah. But he probably understood the terms of his own gods and understood that God was talking. Nevertheless, it was a divine prophecy. Josiah would not turn his face from them. Josiah thought he could escape the, the uh, prediction of Necho by disguising himself in battle. So let's read what happens to him. And the archers shot Josiah. And nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him and did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of the chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah, and to this day all the singing men and singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the laments, in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness according to what was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds from the first to the last, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. So he dies. The archer shot him and he died. He didn't listen to God's will. He died. I got to thinking about this. Remember the Lord had told Josiah that he wouldn't see the calamity that was coming on Judah, that he wouldn't be alive for the calamity or he wouldn't see it. It's almost like the Lord was taking him out because in the next chapter, it's over. In the next few years, Judah falls and they go to Babylon for 70 years. They're, they're carried away. And I thought this was interesting and I looked at it. If you have a minute, turn to Second, First Thessalonians. No, 2 Thessalonians. I want to read chapter 2, 1 through 17. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now... 
you know what is restraining that he may reveal in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawlessness the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, and they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may be all condemned, not who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every work, good word and work. Paul is talking to the Thessalonians one more time, and he's trying to tell them that about what's going to happen in the end days. He's talking about apostasy. Apostasy means a great falling away. Are we in the great apostasy right now? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It might appear so. We look at the condition of the church, and it might appear that there's a great apostasy going on. But this has to happen before the great tribulation. This is why I know we're not in the great tribulation right now, even though there's an apostasy happening. But another thing has to happen before the great tribulation, and that's the man of sin. The son of perdition has to be revealed. The Antichrist. That's his title, the Antichrist. He's really the son of Satan. And even as Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh... The Antichrist will be Satan incarnate. He will take over the body of someone. He will take over literally, and even as demons possess bodies, Satan will take up residence in this body, this person called the Antichrist. And that's nothing that we should think about, but it should be familiar to us. What happened to Judas right before he left the table? What does the scripture say? Satan entered him. Satan entered him right before he left the table to do what he had to do. So this can happen. And Revelation 13 tells us that he, he gives to Satan, gives to this Antichrist all power, all the throne, and he gives, to the, gives him the world because the world belongs to Satan. Jesus came to redeem the world to God. But right now, Satan has control over the world. But Satan is going to give this man of sin, the son of perdition, his throne. His authority, his power, and he's going to rule over the world. And in the beginning of his reign, things are going to be prosperous on the earth. They're going to be singing, happy days are here again. The man is a miracle worker. The man has brought marvelous solutions to the troubling world problems. The man has brought the end of economic difficulties in places, and there's going to be great, great things. He's brought an end to the horrible war. He's brought peace and prosperity. Everyone has jobs and things are going great. And the world is going to hail this man as its savior. The Orthodox Jews are going to come to him and they're going to want to build a temple. And he's going to find a way where their temple can exist at the same place, at the Temple Mount, right next to the Dome of the Rock Church. And there's going to be peace. There's going to be peace. And for three and a half years, they start to build this temple. And the Muslims will be satisfied because they get to keep their piece of the rock. They get to keep that peace. And they build this great big thing. And after three and a half years, 
he comes to dedicate the temple. And when he comes into the temple, he tells them that he's God and that they have to worship him. And what we think is the great tribulation starts. But something happens before all this. There's something going on. There's something happening before this. There's a restrainer involved. There's a restrainer involved. The restrainer, I believe, is the Holy Spirit. It's the church. The church is restraining the evil one right now. The Holy Spirit in us, the church, is restraining the evil one from probably coming. Once we are withdrawn after the rapture, that is when the restrainer moved out. Remember, he said, until the restrainer is gone. This man won't be revealed until we are gone. So if you hear someone say, oh, the vaccine's the mark of the beast, it can't be because we're still here. It can't be the mark of the beast. We're still here. It may be a precursor to the mark of the beast, getting people ready to take these kind of things, but it can't be the mark of the beast because we're still here. The church is still here. But there's something that happens. So what am I trying to say? All through the Bible, we're showed where, where God, those who were righteous before God, those who were, were humbled themselves before God, escaped the wrath. Josiah humbled himself before God, became a godly man, followed God. He made a mistake, but God took him out. When? Before Judah fell. The righteous perish, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taking away. There's the taking away. He took Josiah away. Josiah died. Yes, he died in a war, but that was God's way. He didn't have to die, but God took him out before the horribleness was going to come. It's over, folks. There's a couple more kings, and it lasts a few more years, but they go down, tube, down, down the tubes fast, and it's going to be over. What I'm trying to get at is you have to look at the signs. You have to know the word of God and see what's coming before you make Bold statements like, oh, you know, the, 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 uh, the vaccine is the mark of the beast or those kind of things. You have to know the God's word. You have to know God's word. God will take out the righteous. He will take us out before all these things happen. We're going to be out of here. Out of here. So I wanted to share that with you because that was on my heart. And uh, I just want to let you know that, that God is in control of everything. And he has everything down to the last time. He has everything written. It's already taking place. According to him, he sees it all. He knows exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. He knows all these things. Now, you may not believe in a pre-trib rapture, and that's your choice. I do. I believe that Scripture teaches a pre-tribulation rapture, that we are not appointed to wrath. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that, and I teach that. If you have a mid-trib, after three and a half years, the church is taken out. Or if you have a post-trib, after the tribulation, the church is taken out. You can, you can have that. But I tell you right now, when we get to the woes, when we get to the scrolls, when we get to all those things, when you see the destruction, when you see the horribleness of what's coming to earth, you don't want to be here. You don't want to be here when a quarter of the world, when a quarter of the population is wiped out. No, I don't believe we'll be here. I really, really don't. But I think we have an example of Josiah, who was a righteous guy, and he was taken out. And that's why I spent some time on that. You are Second Chronicles is the ongoing account of the kings of Israel and then Judah. Here on A Sure Hope, Pastor Dave has been teaching through this book, giving you a good awareness of the things that happened during this time. He started with King Solomon's reign, and you quickly see how when things are managed by mere men, it starts to devolve into selfish wants and desires. 
This is the way of the world, isn't it? But in contrast to that, you get a glimpse into a few kings who really sought after the Lord and tried to honor him with their kingly reign. Being human, there's always that tension between what you want and how it gives you that esteem versus doing what honors God and gives him glory. It can be easy to look at some of the examples of these kings and quickly start to look down on them. But if you were faced with that same culture and situations, would you do any differently? To know that a few of these men stood up against the crowd is striking. They decided to be countercultural and chose to honor God above all. Wouldn't it be great for God to say the same about you? We're so glad you decided to join us today. This series in the book of 2 Chronicles is one that you'll want to keep tuning into. One teaching connects to the next and helps give you the context of the book as a whole. If you'd like to hear today's message again or you missed one and want to go back to it, head over to assurehoperadio.com. We're out of time for today, but we're excited for you to join us again. Never forget that because of God, you have a sure hope.